What's up, Literacy Advocates? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Dwayne Millard. He's the Senior Vice President of Family and Community Engagement at Scholastic, and this was a much more conversational episode than some of the other episodes I've had on the show. On this episode, we talked about his journey from entrepreneur and ed tech to working at Scholastic. What does it mean to focus on students' personal development over sheer academics, and what World Read Aloud Day means to him? I'm super excited to share this with you. Let's get into the conversation. Did, were you forecasting this would be your life journey or is it more so in reflection saying, wow, I, I see it clearly now? What's true about me is that I, when I was a kid, I always knew that I wanted to grow up and be an artist, but I didn't know what mm -hmm. that was going to be exactly. What I what I would say is I wanted to be a story artist or like I figured out how to say that basically because like mm -hmm. that encompassed everything that I imagined that, that I wanted to be. So a story artist is a comic book artist or a storyboard artist for movies or somebody that makes kids books like anytime you're creating like sequential story art, that's a story artist. And I knew that's what I wanted to grow up and do for a living. And uh, and then that's great. when I was uh, 17, my little brother was four. And I just finished reading Dr. Seuss's Yertle the Turtle. And I was like, I bet I could do something like this. And I wrote, I started writing <laughs> him a story that was inspired by Yertle the Turtle uh, called Billy the Dragon. Uh, oh, man. And then, and then when amazing. I was working at Disney, I had a bunch of, I, I did that before I left to go work at Disney. While I was working at Disney, I had a bunch of friends in entertainment that were all encouraging me to, they would read the story and they'd be like, you need to get this thing published. And I didn't want to go through the long, long process. Uh, sorry, because I know you work at Scholastic, but I didn't want to go through the long, long process <laughs> of trying to get published because I know that that is a years, year, like years upon years long process for most uh, kids book authors. So, mm -hmm. um, so I just went full on entrepreneurial with it and I bought a print run, which is, this is what a lot of self-published authors wow. do tend not to go anywhere. But mm -hmm. I, I spent my entire savings account, which was like $4,000 at the time on a print run mm -hmm. uh, of this book and then started literally knocking on elementary school doors. Like I know now mm. as somebody that interviews teachers, that's the most annoying thing. If you're like, nah. if you're a media specialist, <laughs> you're constantly being hit up by like wannabe yes. uh, self-published kids book authors. But for whatever reason, I was able to like talk my way into it with about half the people that I would meet and, uh, and, and started performing at schools. And like, while I was performing at schools, uh, like teachers would talk about me on social media and that just grew into like more and more touring. And, uh, that's, and yeah, that's, so that, that's word of mouth. That's definitely mm -hmm. a great word of mouth part of it. Yeah. I am now traditionally published in for, for at least one of the books that I've made. Um, and sure enough, it is what I thought it's, it was like a two year process and I was a little bit of a known thing, uh, when I started. Um, so, so I still prefer just the <laughs> speed of going and like making my own thing. Um, but, but yeah. That's uh, yes, yes, yes. What, um, what, what about you? What's your professional background? Like what got you into working at Scholastic? I, I love the conversation about journey. So uh, I was a, I went to school for business. Then I became an education major with a business minor uh, because I was like you, uh, entrepreneur spirit spirit yeah and um i ended up teaching taught middle school for five years down in maryland loved it love middle school kids they're just my favorite 
Um, then I ended up coming to New York and I went back into what I consider entrepreneurial work, which is working in the sales field. Uh, okay, what you do in sales? So I started off in the tech industry, uh, probably yeah. something you may not remember, but when um, when the, the uh, large uh, uh, long distance and data companies like AT&T and Verizon were yeah, yeah. broken up and uh, other players were end up able to be entrepreneurial, uh, I worked yeah. for a lot of those companies, basically, you know, taking business away from AT&T and Verizon nice. in the business sector. That's and good. Then, uh, and Scholastic was one of my customers. And when I started talking with them more, uh, they actually ended up um, selling me into coming over here to work for them in the ed tech space, which for me was perfect because I was able to actually grow a business within a business that- What were they looking for? Like, why did they, why did they pick you for that? What were they looking for? Well, you know, there, there are a lot of characteristics of what it takes to actually, you know, interact with people. But when you also think about the background, I have a business background, I have an education background, and this is a company that is education and it's about, you know, children and literacy. So yeah. it was a perfect fit in that way in relation to how that. long, how long have you been at Scholastic? So I was here, I'm one of the boomerangs. So I am here now for nearly a year, but then before this, I was here for about 10 years. Okay. Gotcha. What'd you do in the in-between? Uh, I worked for a couple other ed tech companies mm. I see. and my total history has been about helping children. It's either been on the prevention side or the intervention side. Gotcha. So Dwayne, before, uh, before we hit record on this episode, I asked you the question that I ask pretty much everybody that I have on this show, which is what is something related to literacy? Like what's a commonly held belief related to literacy or education that you passionately disagree with? And I thought your answer was really interesting. Um, if you want to go ahead and give that for us. Yes. And this, this doesn't apply to everyone individually, but I think systemically it, it is, it is something that exists. It's a, uh, we're, we're so focused on academics that I think we lose the true purpose of, of what learning is all about. It's, it's learning your own story. It's, it's learning how to find your path. It's learning who you are and then being able to grow from that. And that's where learning, that's where academics becomes a tool for creating yourself. And I think sometimes we get it backwards as if academics is the lead and it's not. It is a tool that supports us because we're the lead. Yeah. What makes you say that? Like what, uh, what about your experience in education or like what have you seen that, that makes you feel that way? So in my own reflection, as well as looking at students that I know that have grown and seeing the things that they started reflecting on that you, you could tell that they, they ended up getting to a point where they knew who they were and what they wanted to be and they didn't have the right um, uh, environment to actually nurture that. Or you have some people who are adults and they start to see how the work that they're doing connects back to something that a teacher was trying to get through to them at a point in their life in school, but no one really went into the why to make the connections. And just imagine if those whys and those connections were made when they were younger and how that could have impacted how they grew, what they chose to be, what they ended up becoming. Yeah. Um, I just love the focus that like it, 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 like the emphasis on it gets too focused on academics and not enough on discovering and developing who the students are as, as like people. Yes. Um, I know for me, my experience with education, like my parent, I was homeschooled. 
So my parents mm -hmm. were heavily involved in my education and yes. the focus <laughs> was absolutely on developing and uh, uh, like discovering and developing who I am as a person. But for and teachers that are, yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think, what do you think are like, what are some specific things that you think that uh, needs to change about education or how do you think this change needs to happen? Or like, how does this change start to happen? Like what um, are things that would have to not be true versus true? So I, I think our lens needs to change. I mean, if you think about the moment that we're in right now, uh, every negative has a positive, you know, of course, no one wishes that we were going through this moment with COVID. Yeah. But when you think about it, there are a lot of things it's a great agitator to make change happen. So we lose an opportunity if we don't have a systemic, innovative change happen within all communities of learning, education, even the business sector, but focusing on education. And so how do we actually take this moment where children obviously need more than academics and create methodologies and change the proportion and think about the student first, not just say it, but design what happens in the classroom for the student first. And you know what? There are a lot of teachers like your parents that want this, but sometimes they can't do it because of the accountabilities that they're held to. Now we still need accountabilities, but we just have to look at the dynamics of what is it that helps students become who they are. Your description of what happened during your homeschool is, a, is, is an example of it. It's, it's centered around helping us find ourselves, helping us feel like we belong, and helping us self-actualize who we want to be, and then use our experiences to pivot and find it. So we need to help students to uncover, and that means we need to change the, the, the approach to how we teach. Pedagogy needs to change. Yeah. If I'm a teacher and I'm feeling this way, like I am agreeing with everything that you're saying, but I'm working in a school where the emphasis is so heavily focused on academic academics, what do you think is like step one that I should be trying to do? You have to try to see how you can start changing the dynamic first in your classroom. And I know I'm saying that with the difficulties of the expectations, sometimes depending on, you know, the, the leader in the culture of the building. But even doing things like a good friend of mine who, who still teaches mentioned that he takes in his 90 minute block the first 10 minutes to really explore with the students so he can get a chance to learn them and they can get a chance to learn yeah. themselves. Yeah. You know, it's, it's having those moments where they actually can start thinking about who am I, what am I trying to become, what are my interests and hearing from other people what they're struggling with, what they're trying to do, and looking for people who are going in the same direction and making those bonds. And then, you know, that's where creativity and innovation come from. And then how does the teacher connect that to the work that's happening? And, you know, being able to find time during planning to think about these type of experiences. And then how does academics support it, again, rather than academics being the lead? So I think the best thing they could do is if you actually a teacher takes that information and actually thinks about their instructional planning and their pedagogy in the classroom and in a safe way, you know, try to change the dynamic to steal some time and to change the culture of the classroom and then maybe create a model and show it to other teachers or show it to your leader 
so that maybe you can start to change the culture of the building by innovating in your classroom. It's difficult, but it can be done. I love that. I love the idea that academics should not be the lead. That's, that was really good. Um, that we should lead with understanding who our students are and academics should just support that. Correct. Totally agree. Um, so Dwayne world read aloud day is coming up. Um, yes, it is. what's the, what's the significance for you of world read aloud day? It's, it's an opportunity to share story and to have it be a day where everybody's thinking about the power of sharing story through read alouds. It's, it's an opportunity for everyone to practice and just enjoy the beauty of, um, sharing with each other and it's it can be sharing through reading different types of texts and all the learning that happens in those spaces because if you just think of when you and i were talking about journeys uh, think about all of the things that you learn just through having conversations that you were engaged and interested doing a back and forth and how that also helped you to become who you are and imagine doing that through read alouds through a book it just it, it is it is an amazing experience that helps people to develop. It helps us academically. It helps us personally, and it also helps us fulfill the need of connecting with with each other. And we've lost a lot of that over time because of everything happening. And the beauty of uh, technology has actually made us more distant, made us more isolated, more self-involved. And so we have to reimagine and or maybe you know have more access to people, seeing what it's like to actually communicate <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a different way. Do you have any advice for teachers who want to get the most out of World Read Aloud Day? Use it as an opportunity to do what you and I were just talking about, not make it about the academic experience, make it about yeah. the shared social experience, make it enjoyable, um, have fun with it, try to create as many experiences that children and yourself and anyone you have involved will remember how much fun they had that day uh, going through that experience with everyone involved. Yeah. How have you seen personally, how have you seen that done really well? So like w- the teachers that are doing that really well, what are they doing? They're doing exactly that. We, we, we have a lot of, you know, ongoing programs where it's about reading aloud and it's, it's just so communal when you see the teachers and, and, people who are volunteering and the kids just you can see it in 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 the disposition of just body language it's it, you can see it in the smiles you can see it in the energy and you can even see it in the the afterthought you know when you think about uh, entertaining and entertainment and you know going to a concert and when it's over and people don't want to leave you know when you have those type of experiences when the day's over but everybody's still socializing it's because they're having a good time in this experience and those like amazing moments when you know it's working i remember so my like so as a kids book author like so much of my career depends on like how entertaining i am when it comes Mm -hmm. to reading aloud obviously and um for me like i had this huge unlock that i honestly should have known all along i'm pretty sure teachers everywhere already know this um but it was uh I had been touring and touring and touring and I would get up in front of the kids and in the most entertaining way that I could, I would perform my kid's book. And mm-hmm. then there, I had this one book called Harper Hears No. And um, uh, I had the idea as that one school, I was like, I should get the kids to like nominate people from within their group to come up and act out and like do the lines of different characters in this book. 
and I was like, okay, guys, there's a there's a grandma in this book. Who who should play the grandma here? And like, it would be so funny when like groups of second graders would pick out like a boy from the class to come up and be the grandma. And you could just <laughs> see the kid transform into grandma yes. as he would read the yes. lines. Uh, I I loved that. So like a piece of advice that I have to teachers, like if you're if you especially in elementary, um, if you're not if you're not doing that, if you're not having kids uh, come yes. up and and act out the roles of <laughs> yes. the different characters in the book, that is something that you can instantly get a lot of entertainment value out of doing. No question. No, I'm I, as you're saying it, I'm visualizing it. And yes, <laughs> that that that's nothing but entertaining, and it's it's actually you know it's integrating the children into the experience, and and obviously they they would be engaged when they they are engaged when they're involved in that way, acting out the roles. <laughs> yeah. I love this. Dwayne, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Where are you most active that uh, listeners can connect with you? And where would you like listeners to connect? So um, let me just give them first a place to connect in relation to um, World Read Aloud Day, because yeah. it's, it's an opportunity for, for uh, everyone to have resources. It is at uh, scholastic.com forward slash World Read Aloud Day. And uh, from a social media perspective, you'll probably find me most active on LinkedIn and Twitter. And it's, it's literally my name, Dwayne Millard. Great. Love it. Dwayne, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. No problem. It's been a great experience.